I'd certainly love to tell you which page we're on, but I'm reading from the really big words, so <laughs> sorry about that. You'll just have to look it up. Acts 28, we're starting at verse 1. What an adventure it's been so far. I'm looking forward to this next part. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honoured us in many ways and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up and on the following day, we reached Puteoli. Puteoli. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard we were coming and they travelled as far as the Forum of Apius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he was called together. He called together the leaders of the Jews. When they assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the custom of our, customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, 
Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Let's uh, pray, shall we? Father, uh, we just want to thank you so much for... Um, uh, the great privilege that we have to, to be together as your people. And Father, we pray that as we uh, look at your word now, that you would be working in us, in our minds and in our hearts by your word and spirit, uh, and that uh, we would uh, be uh, learning more about you and being more passionate uh, in terms of your work of uh, preaching the gospel and uh, speaking the gospel to others, reaching out to our world with the good news about Jesus and we pray these things in his name. Amen. Now, <clears throat> this book is the thickest novel that I've ever read. Uh, it's a novel. It's, it's fiction. And uh, it is a gripping story of um, geopolitics at the highest level of... Uh, espionage in uh, the Middle East and in, in China and uh, of relationships. Uh, it's a great novel. It's a wonderful novel and I'm not going to tell you what it's called because you might be reading this novel and I don't want to spoil the ending for you, especially because to get to the ending you have to have read more than 800 pages. And uh, after read, but I will tell you a little bit about the ending, and that is that uh, when you do get to the end after reading 800 pages, uh, the the whole story it, it builds up to this uh, to this this climax, and then it just stops, it just ends, at leaving a huge question unanswered. Uh, just that, uh, that question of the future of the entire world uh, is just left dangling. Now, uh, why would the author write the book like that? Maybe uh, because he was uh, thinking about scope for a, for, a, for a sequel, for a part two. But uh, some stories are just great when they end that way, aren't they? because they, they leave it up to us. They leave it up to us and our imagination uh, to think through what might happen next. And we love those kind of stories. Uh, the Book of Acts is a great story, isn't it? And, uh, you know, we, um, last year we, we jumped into this uh, particular story, uh, the Book of Acts, about this time last year, but we, we jumped in halfway through the story. Uh, at uh, chapter 16, because uh, we wanted to track the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So since then, we have tracked his uh, missionary journeys as he's taken the gospel uh, throughout um, uh, Asia Minor 
and uh, across into Europe, into Macedonia and into Greece. He's taken the gospel into parts of the world that it, where it had not been uh, heard before. And uh, last week, uh, we started to track a different kind of journey. Paul, uh, not so much as a missionary, although he was always a missionary, no matter what he was doing, but specifically Paul as a prisoner, as he was being transported by sea uh, to face trial uh, in the capital uh, city, the capital of the empire, and that is the city of Rome. Where uh, in that journey, um, it was a rough journey, and uh, we saw last week that uh, it resulted in Paul and uh, 275 other people on, the, on board that ship being shipwrecked, being shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And so then the next question then would be, what happened next? And how were they received by the, um, by the locals? Uh, this, you know, this crowd of people, this crowd of shipwrecked survivors uh, washing up on their beach, how would the, the locals uh, receive them? You know, in August 1944, on August the 14th, there was not quite a shipwreck um, that happened around here, but um, there was what the media reported was a, a crash landing of a sea uh, of a seaplane. Uh, it happened on the Camden Haven River at Loriton, just a bit south of here. And uh, I guess I wouldn't so much call it a crash landing, I'd call it more of an emergency landing, but let's go with what the media called it, a crash landing. And when this uh, seaplane crash landed uh, on the Camden Haven River, uh, some of the locals, they rushed out uh, on their boats to help those who were on board, and they were shocked when one of the world's most famous entertainers uh, stepped out from the plane the American comedian Bob Hope and a troupe of other comedians. How were they received by the Loriton locals? Pretty well. And in return, uh, they gave them, uh, Bob Hope gave them a free concert at the Loriton School of Arts before a plane from Sydney came in the following day to rescue them and to help them to continue on their journey. What about these shipwreck survivors? In Acts chapter 28, if you'd like to have that open up in your Bibles, um, we see that the locals of Malta were, well, they were not hostile to these shipwreck survivors. And uh, the background tells us that that may have actually come as a bit of a relief. Uh, Malta um, is a, it's a very small island. It's... Uh, it's 29 kilometres long and it's about 13 kilometres wide, so it's not very big. And although it's uh, actually very, very close to Sicily, uh, they, the Maltese mostly spoke um, their own language, which had a sort of a, an Arabic and Phoenician um, uh, background. Uh, in fact, they still do. Uh, and it was because of that, because they spoke their own language, not Latin, not Greek primarily, that the Romans referred to them as barbarians. Um, in fact, um, so does Luke in Acts here, where it says islanders in your uh, NIVs. 
The actual word is barbarians. Uh, that's what they were thought of. They uh, were thought of as being uncivilised people. And yet in verse 2, Luke recounts how the shipwreck survivors were received and he says that they were received uh, in a very, very kind manner. He says that they, their kindness was fantastic. He describes it as being unusual kindness. Not the kind of kindness that you would expect, not even from people who are not barbarians. And what that means is that in uh, verses 1 through to 10, uh, where it tells the story of uh, uh, Paul and his companion's time on Malta, it describes a wonderful relationship between these Christians, um, Paul and, and uh, <clears throat> the other two the Christians that were with him, uh, with this pagan community. Now, I say pagan not in a derogatory sense, not like saying barbarian, but in that sense that like the rest of the world around them, that they didn't know God and that they worshipped um, other gods. They worshipped false gods. And we see this, uh, in fact, in their very first act of kindness because the shipwreck survivors, if they're there, they're out in the open, probably on the beach or just beyond the beach, uh, and it's raining and it's cold and the locals, uh, first thing that they wanted to do was just to build a fire for them to keep these uh, people uh, from the ship warm, uh, when in verse 3, uh, the Apostle Paul, trying to help out by uh, gathering together some, uh, some wood for the, uh, for the fire, uh, finds that uh, he's actually disturbed a, a viper. Uh, it's, a, it's a venomous snake, uh, which crawls out and actually bites him on the hand. And so how would the locals react to that? Well, they just, wanted, they just stood around waiting uh, to watch him die. Um, because, well, firstly, their, their spirituality told them that uh, uh, this prisoner, Paul, who they <clears throat> would have recognised as being a prisoner, must have actually been a murderer. Uh, I mean, otherwise, how can you explain it? I mean, he escaped the sea, sure, but he would, he would not be allowed to, to escape um, their God, justice. And so, but secondly, uh, it's not just their spiritual understanding, but secondly, their experience of life uh, told them that anyone who gets bitten by a viper doesn't have a great future. But because Paul doesn't swell up and die, they now conclude that he's not a murderer, but in fact he's the exact opposite. He must be a what does it say? A god. <laughs> he must be a god. Now, um, in Acts chapter 14, in a missionary journey of Paul's, when Paul and Barnabas were in the city of Lystra, uh, they healed a man who had been crippled. And when the locals uh, saw that this crippled man was now, um, was now healed, they actually worshipped um, Paul and Barnabas. They started crying out, shouting out, saying that Paul and Barnabas were gods. And in that instance, Paul put a stop to that. <laughs> he, put a st he told them, we're not gods, we're just mere men like you. And he actually then proclaimed to them the gospel, the good news about the true God. But here, Luke makes no mention of Paul doing that. Why? Well, just hold that thought. Uh, notice also that in verses 7 through to 10, that God, through Paul, 
uh, healed um, plenty of people in Malta who were suffering from sickness at the time. Miraculously, God, through Paul, healed them, starting with the, um, the father of a man by, by the name of Publius. It's a Roman name. He may not have been a Roman. He might have been just the Maltese headman who became a Roman citizen and uh, adopted a Roman name, but he may have been a Roman official. We're not too sure about that. But his father was suffering from, uh, from symptoms. What are the symptoms there? Fever and dysentery. Now, here's a fun fact. These are actually the symptoms of a sickness, which is called uh, Malta fever, uh, which um, uh, people in the 19th century uh, worked out uh, comes from a, a bacteria uh, which are, for a microbe which is found in goat's milk on the island. So that might have been the issue. But back to the passage, Paul was actually healing lots of people and yet there is no mention of him preaching the gospel on Malta. Um, even though we're told that he stayed there for three months until the, um, the bad, most of the bad weather had subsided sufficiently for some ships to take the risk to start sailing again and they're actually able to catch, uh, catch a, jump on board an Alexandrian cargo ship that had, been, uh, that had wintered in Malta for uh, that period of time. Um, so they were there, he was there for three months. And so you've got to ask this question, do you think that Paul would not have repudiated the idea that he was a god? Uh, do you think that Paul would not have shared the gospel with these Maltese people over a period of three whole months? Based on his track record, what would you say? you'd have to conclude that he took the opportunity to preach the gospel. But Luke doesn't describe that. And perhaps what Luke is doing here is describing to us the relationships, uh, particularly the mutual acts of kindness between the, um, these, uh, uh, these pagan Maltese and uh, not just all of the shipwrecked survivors, but particularly um, Paul and uh, his two companions. You see, uh, the Christians were not sceptical of the Maltese. They didn't um, reject their generosity and their hospitality because they were pagans. No, they were grateful. Um, they, 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 they developed a respect for these Maltese people and they returned that uh, with acts of kindness themselves in terms of healing uh, healing their sick. I love how in verse 8 uh, we're told that Paul prayed for the chief officer's father and then he laid hands on him and then he healed him. You know, by praying, it's really saying that Paul is not the one who does the healing, it's actually God. We ask God to heal people. And uh, I think it's very powerful um, when we pray for non-Christians. I think it's very powerful even when we uh, let non-Christians know that we're praying for them. Um, because when we've got genuine friendships of um, respect and of trust and of warmth um, with non-Christians who are in a difficult situation, uh, we can offer prayer for them. We can actually say, would you like me to pray for you? 
How about I pray for you even now? Um, I've had opportunity to do that with um, people outside of my context of being a minister. Um, and it's, it has a powerful effect on, on people. In fact, I, I warmly remember as a non-Christian teenager who was uh, getting a bit stressed out and anxious about the looming HSC, uh, when, when a, a young girl, a girl said, spoke to me, a friend, and she said to me, Scott, I am praying for you. I, no one had ever said that to me before. I, 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 that, was, that blew my mind, um, that someone would actually be praying for me, uh, seeking God's help on my behalf. And so we can imagine, we're left here to imagine these, um, these bridges of friendship uh, which had been built uh, and which allowed Paul to uh, share the gospel um, with people on the island of Malta. And these bridges of friendship, uh, bridges of relationship, were actually not needed for the relationships that, uh, the next set of relationships that described for us in the passage in verses 11 through to 16, when Paul and his companions are received by Christians on the Italian peninsula, or the, the Italian boot, as it's called. Uh, I want to read to you from verse 11. After three months, we put out to sea uh, on a ship that had wintered in the island, that's Malta. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figureheads of the twin gods Caster and Pollux, as if Paul thought he needed them to protect him. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up and on the following day we reached Puteoli. Now, can you see this mm, screen please, map? Thanks guys. Terrific. Okay, so you can see that on the map there. It's also there in, in your outlines. Uh, hopefully those who are watching on the uh, live stream can see that as well. So it's about 167 kilometres uh, uh, sailing from Malta uh, to Syracuse, which is in uh, Sicily, that, Sicily, that island off the uh, uh, Italian boot. And uh, then it's, uh, from there it's 130 kilometres to Regium, which is nicely described as being at the toe of the Italian boot. And then they caught a south wind, which was exactly what they needed, to then take them up um, the, uh, the Italian west coast until they reached the port city of Puteoli, which uh, Google Maps um, tells me these days is about a 23-minute drive from Naples. And Google Maps also tells me that it's got plenty of pizza shops there as well. So... Civilization at last. Civilization at last. But you know, uh, what really warmed um, Paul's heart was the welcome they received from Christians um, with whom the, uh, the Roman centurion Julius had uh, graciously and perhaps trustingly allowed them to stay. Now, the gospel had already been preached in Italy, um, before Paul's visit, this is his. Uh, this is he. This is Paul's. This is Paul's first visit to Rome. Um, I'll say a little bit about his second visit to Rome a bit later on. 
But um, the gospel had been taken to Italy uh, by others before Paul got there. And so there were already Christians in Rome. There were Christians in Pompeii. There were Christians in uh, Herculaneum. Um, there were Christians here in Puteoli, amongst other places. And a couple of years before this, Paul had written uh, the book of Romans, the letter to the Roman church, uh, where he said that he, he planned, had, that he planned to visit them. Uh, he planned to visit them, but first he had a job to do, and that is in Romans 15, that he had the job to do of delivering a financial gift from the Gentile churches to the suffering churches in Judea. He had to go to Jerusalem to deliver this gift, but after he'd done that, he was planning to uh, do a trip to the far ends of the earth, um, from his perspective, to Spain to preach the gospel, and uh, en route to Spain, um, that he was hoping that he'd be able to stop uh, in Rome and to meet and to encourage the Christians there. But he had to deliver this financial gift to Jerusalem first. Little did he know at that point when he wrote Romans that uh, delivering the financial gift to Jerusalem would mean that he would be arrested, charged, put on trial and eventually would actually get to Rome but in chains as a prisoner which is the case right now here in this passage. Now the road from... Um, Puteoli um, to Rome was, um, was apparently quite a rough road and so they rested for about a week or so before they set out uh, on the final leg of the journey. And uh, in that period of time, from his arrival in Puteoli, uh, word got around that the apostle was now uh, in Italy and so uh, Christians in Rome who had heard about this, they travelled they travelled to places which were outside of uh, Rome. They travelled to a place which is 50 kilometres outside of Rome, to another place which was 65 kilometres outside of Rome, on the road, so as to meet Paul and to be with him as he entered into the city. Pick it up at verse 15. The brothers there had heard that we were coming and they travelled as far as the Forum of Appius, we don't have place names with names with great names, places with great names like that in Australia, do we? The Forum of Appius, and another place called the Three Taverns, to meet us. At the sight of those men, Paul thanked God, and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself, um, with a soldier to guard him. Now, how encouraging for Paul! Uh, because he would enter the city of his trial um, as a prisoner in chains, but there's a sense of um, triumph here as well, isn't there? Because although he would enter as a prisoner in, in chains, he would be surrounded by locals who would come out, uh, not to humiliate him, but to, but to support him so that he could face what lay ahead with courage. 
You know, um, uh, Christian fellowship, it doesn't stop with uh, having a cup of tea and coffee with each other over morning tea at church, does it? Uh, the, the word fellowship actually means partnership. That's what it means. It means that we're, we're in this together. It means that we are in this gospel ministry and gospel mission together. And by bothering to go out to meet Paul, travelling up to 65 kilometres on the road just to meet him, to bring him in, by bothering to do that, what are these Roman Christians saying? They're saying... You're not alone. We are family. We stand with you. That is gospel fellowship. That is true partnership. Now, when Paul um, entered a city, where would he first go to preach the gospel? Well, he'd head to the Jewish synagogue, wouldn't he? That's where he'd first go to preach the gospel. Could he do that in Rome? Uh, there were, it's estimated that in Rome at that time there were between 20,000 and 50,000 uh, Jews living there. That's a, that's a big gap between 20 and 50,000. But the reason for that is the, the previous emperor, Emperor Claudius, had actually edicted issued an edict expelling lots of Jews from Rome and so it's just not clear how many still lived there at the time. But between 20 and 50,000 Jews, they lived uh, in one part of Rome on the, on the poor side of the Tiber River, um, an area which uh, is currently described as being quite funky and bohemian, um, but it was the poor area at that time. It's called Travestia. There were 11 synagogues in Rome at the time of which Paul could visit none because he was a prisoner. And so in verse 17, what did he do? Well, if he can't go to the synagogues, he invited the synagogue to come to him. Uh, he invited the Jewish leaders uh, to his place. He um, was able to rent some accommodation because he was not um, held as a prisoner in a prison cell, not this time, uh, he was held under house arrest. Uh, pick it up at verse 17. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me, and wanted to release me, because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. I'm not accusing them of doing anything wrong. And for this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. A chain which uh, the scholars say uh, was probably also connected to the soldier that guarded him. And the soldiers uh, guarded Paul on a rotational basis, uh, which is why in Philippians uh, he's able to say that the whole of the Praetorium Guard has heard the gospel. 
now, Paul had received unusual kindness from the pagans in Malta. Uh, he had received great encouragement from the, uh, from the Roman Christians. Uh, the question remains, how would the Jews receive him? And uh, chances are, Paul would have been thinking that the Jews in Rome had already been poisoned against him. Um, by, uh, <clears throat> uh, by warnings that would have been sent uh, from, the, uh, from the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. And so what he does in these verses, which I've just read, is that he, he wants to tell his side of the story, but turns out in verse 21 that they're actually in the dark about Paul. They, they had heard nothing about Paul at all. No letter had arrived, no person had come in order to warn them about him and that may have been because of the difficulties of winter travel that they just couldn't get there before Paul did or it may be that the leaders in Jerusalem decided that they actually didn't they couldn't win a case against Paul in Rome because the legal documentation that would have accompanied Paul um, would have actually had the verdict of the of the, uh, the governor in Judea, that he found nothing, uh, that Paul had done nothing which broke Roman law. And besides, Paul was a Roman citizen and Jews in Jerusalem, uh, well, that's going to affect um, the way that their case would be heard. So it's possible that they just didn't bother sending anything about Paul because they didn't think that they could win the case. Because of that, the Jews in Rome, they actually received Paul rather well. And we're told that they were, they were, they, they'd heard about this, this sect, um, the Christians, um, but they, they wanted to actually meet with Paul again. They wanted to meet with him again and, and for him to be able to explain to them, to share with them his message. And when they did, they brought lots of their Jewish friends along with them to hear from Paul. Jews to whom Paul explained the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus. Well, how did that go? How did, that, how did they respond? We're told that some of those Jews were actually convinced about Jesus. Others were not convinced about Jesus. And then they started arguing with one another. And when Paul reminded them from the prophet Isaiah um, about hard-heartedness and not listening to God's word and spoke to them about God's salvation going to the Gentiles who actually would listen, we're told that they all started walking out. They didn't want to hear any more. So how does the book of Acts end? Did Paul get to stand trial in the court of Emperor Nero? And if so, how did that go? Um, that would make for good reading, wouldn't it? I'd love to have the inside information, the details about that courtroom uh, dialogue and what happened. Uh, that would have been a great climax, but yet Luke says nothing about that at all. Nothing. Although we get a hint here and we know from elsewhere that Paul was actually released from his house arrest in Rome um, after two years. But then, and then he did two years of ministry 
and a couple of years later he found himself being a prisoner in Rome um, and this time uh, not uh, in house arrest, in comfortable house arrest, but this time in a cold, dark, dingy Roman cell and that he died. But Luke does not tell us this. Because the story is not just about Paul. The story is about the gospel. That's what it's about. And for, for although Paul in verse 20 was chained, and I said, as I said, probably chained to the soldier that was guarding, guarding him, his ability under house arrest to preach the gospel was completely unchained. It was unchained. Have a look at verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Chained, yes. Unchained in terms of preaching the gospel. And there in the heart of the of the greatest empire that the world had ever known, Paul proclaimed a better kingdom. Paul proclaimed a better king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and who rose again and reigns on high. Paul proclaimed this message to anyone who would come, to, uh, to Jews who individually would come to him, to Greeks, to Romans, to anyone, it was an open door for the gospel. And that's it. The book of Acts ends. Do you think it needs a sequel? Friends, we are the sequel. Because 2,000 years later, this story, it's not over, is it? It's not over. For as we hear the gospel, as we trust in the gospel, as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we share that message with others, the story is still being written. God is working in our world. God is working in the lives of people every single day. Every day. As Christians like us build relationships, trusting, respectful relationships with non-Christians, as we engage in true fellowship, that is partnership, as we encourage and support one another in, uh, in our service of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we too are unchained, as we too speak boldly and freely about the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you part of the sequel? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for um, your work in our world. Uh, we thank you, Father, that through these uh, very uh, interesting and engaging and sometimes messy relationships um, that uh, Paul uh, had with various groups of people, that one thing was clear, and that is um, the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And uh, we pray for ourselves, Father God, that um, uh, we would be engaging with our world, that we'd be prepared to get our hands dirty and to take risks and uh, accept challenges and open our mouths and uh, tell others the, the great news of the, uh, the freedom that we have, the freedom from sin and the freedom from anxiety, the freedom of uh, the great hope we have for the future because Jesus died for us and rose again. We pray for our whole world, Lord God, that many, many more uh, would enter into your kingdom through believing in, in your King, Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.